Oh, who loves Jesus? Really? That's it? That was terrible, right? I mean, if there was ever a no-brainer question in the history of the church, is that one. Who loves Jesus? Man, I, I do. I love Jesus. I love Jesus so much. I, I love him more every day. I just, I keep getting surprised at this love for Jesus and, and what it does and, the, you know, the links that it takes you and the, the risks that you'll take. And you never know where, where Jesus is going to take you. I mean, that's kind of what's wild about Jesus is, is following him is this, this crazy adventure, right? It's not tame. It's not, it's not safe. It's, it's never easy. Um, but man, is it, it's amazing and it's fun and fruitful and it's rewarding. And then you get to be a part of the church, Right? You guys love the church? And some of you are like, ah, I got this elder. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's hard to love the church, right? But uh, I got to tell you, I, I love the church. Don't you love the church? Love the church. Love that, uh, that God says, hey, hey, you guys, my, my kids, right? you, you guys come together and you know what? Do my work. Right? Be a part of my family. It's just, it's so amazing to think that he says, you know what, I don't just want you to be recipients of my grace. I don't want you to just be recipients of my love. He says, no, no, it's even better than that. I want you to come into my kingdom and I want you to be participants. I want you to come in and I, I want you to do what I do. I want you uh, to enter into the family business, man. And the, I mean, the family business is seeking and saving the lost. And I just want you to know, business is good. This is really good, right? And the church is exactly what God wants to use to spread this message of hope and love and salvation and redemption and new beginnings and eternal life. And he entrusted it to us. No, that seems dumb to me. I mean, but who can understand the mind of God? The scriptures are pretty clear on that one. I mean, that's not what I would have done. I wouldn't have put that in my hands. I know me, right? But God said, no, 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 I, I love you this much that I want you to, to come and be a part of what I'm doing, and I'm going to entrust you with this. And so this is neat. This is neat when churches gather together and leaders uh, come together and say, okay, how can we get better? How can our church go to the next level? That's a cool concept, right? How many of you want to go to the next level? I mean, that sounds good, right? Good, you're in the right place. I mean, what a place to be to learn and grow and be inspired and challenged and question and work through stuff. We want to go to the next level, but I would like to just issue a challenge to you. I would like for you to start thinking about the next level in these terms. What if the next level, next level was to double? To double your current impact. Double the size of your church. Double the scope of your ministry. Double the, the impact that you're having on the, the kingdom of God. What if you started thinking of the next level as a doubling? Right? Now, what if I also told you that I really believe that, I mean, didn't it kind of stand a reason that God would say, yeah, that's a good, let's do that. Right? Let's do that. Let's, let's see a doubling. But what if I also said, you know what? I've experienced it, a doubling and a doubling again. And I actually know a little bit about what happened, because that's kind of weird. I mean, oftentimes, you know, you, you talk to somebody, and you're like, whoa, your ministry grew, or whoa, your church is really growing, or whoa, your love for Jesus is really growing. What happened? And people are like, I don't know. Right? I don't know what the secret sauce is. I, I don't know what happened. In our context, in Manchester, New Hampshire, which is where I live now, but I'm not from there. I'm from uh, Texas, uh, born and raised. I uh, lived there for all my life, spent um, a good number of years in ministry at a great church in Texas. And five, a little over five years ago, five and a half years ago, I moved to uh, the state of New Hampshire and, uh, to go and be the senior pastor of a really neat church called Manchester Christian Church. And uh, Man Manchester Christian Church at the time uh, was probably, I think at the time, the largest church in New Hampshire at 1,200 people. Um, that's a big church in New Hampshire. You've got to understand what we're dealing with there, right? New, New Hampshire is uh, uh, the, the second most unchurched state in the United States, right behind Vermont. And uh, that's, that's where we are. And so there aren't, a lot of, there aren't a lot of Christians in the state of New Hampshire, but uh, we went up there to be a part of this church, and uh, I, got, I was the senior pastor there, and we moved up there. And uh, we began to do something that positioned our church for this next level of doubling, and what we began to do was very, very simple. It's called pray for one. Now, pray for one is a simple, simple thing. It's a prayer, 
okay? Now I'm about to blow your mind. It goes like this. God, give me one. Everybody get it? Okay. God, give me one. Anybody want to try it with me? God, give me one. Oh, look out. I don't think you know what you just did. I mean, you, you may have just tapped in to the heartbeat of God in such a way where he is going to unleash his love in you. We said to our church, uh, my very first Sunday there, I said, um, hey, this is all I want to ask you to do. Would you ask every day for God to give you one person to share his love with? Right? Just pray this simple prayer. God, give me one. God, give me one. Would you guys do that? And uh, you know, the church there was like, yeah, okay, we'll try that. Right? I mean, and they're resistant to change. I mean, it's, it's New Hampshire, you know, it's, it's the granite state. And it's not because there's granite in the ground. It's because our hearts are hard, uh, angry state. I mean, it's winter nine months out of the year, you know. We, we don't come out much. In the, the late summer, we begin to put on our winter coats. And that means we eat a lot because we're going to hibernate, you know. It's, it's crazy. And, uh, but they're like, all right, we'll do it. We'll do it. But the thing is, is in New Hampshire, when they, people say they're going to do something, you know what they do? They actually do it. That was shocking. I've been in a church my whole life, you know. I've seen a lot of head nodding and a bunch of amens, but I've never actually seen people do it. <laughs> you know? I'm like, okay, we, we may have something going here, you know. And so people actually started praying for one. Meaning that it was often as we prayed, right? In every service, every time we were together, in every group, in, in every form of communication, in all our prayer times at home, around our dinner tables, we just started praying, God, would you give me one person to share your love with? God, would you do that? God, could you give me somebody today to share your love with? And oh my goodness, this prayer is so unbelievably powerful because it just unlocks something. It gives you an entirely new worldview and a totally different perspective. It's a whole other way of looking at the world. So now all of a sudden, you begin to connect with God at a very deep heart level. All right? Now remember, Jesus was, was very clear on what the most important things were. Remember this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. It says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus came and he said, hey guys, listen, okay, I know this stuff is complicated, it's complex. I mean, you got, uh, you know, it started 10 commandments, okay, and then you got to figure out how to do that. I mean, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. How do you do that? Right, everybody has an opinion on that, right? Well, you can't work on the Sabbath. Okay, great. What's work? I don't know. I mean, you can't garden because gardening's clearly work. Well, gardening's my hobby. That's what I do for fun. Well, not anymore. <laughs> you know? The rules. Everybody's got a rule, right? And then and you're figuring, and these, you know, these are, are remember, these are people who are, are trying to understand, right, how to relate to this God. And God is making himself known through his law. But it became very, very complex. I mean, the Old Testament has over 600 of these commands. And then, uh, you know, the rabbis had to figure out, okay, uh, how do we apply these commands? And, and how do they, and in changing circumstances and in different environments and as the world changes and different things occur, then how do we reapply them and, and connect them? And that's where you get these, you know, Pharisees and experts in the law and they're, they're fulfilling a necessary function. Right? The problem is, is, is it was so complex, right? That's what that whole, you know, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, guys, I'm going to simplify this thing for you. It wasn't, it wasn't the first time it was said. It's in the Old Testament, too. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament there. This is the first and greatest commandment. He said the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. He says, if, if you're going to do anything, do this, love. Love. Now, I know sometimes people in church, man, uh, they, get a little, uh, they get a little irritated on the love subject. Right? Oh, 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 here we go again. I love people. When do we get to judge them? <laughs> I want to go to that workshop. <laughs> man, you've probably been having that workshop for 50 years, Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about how to love. But it, it's hard because we've been taught something different. I've been taught something different. Let me put it this way. 
I was, I've been preaching Pray for One and teaching this in, uh, in our church, and people are doing it and they, because they, they resonate with it and they see how it changes their relationships and their conversations and, the, and their relationship with God and how their worship of him is now exploding with passion and, and joy. And this guy comes out one day, and, and I've been talking about love your neighbor as yourself and who is my neighbor and what does that look like and how to love your enemies and love those who persecute you. And this guy comes out, he's a World War II vet. And he comes over to me and goes, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, what's going on? I'm sitting on a stool and he's standing over me and he gets in my face and he goes, I went to war. And he said, I was trained to hate our enemies. Are you telling me now that I have to love them? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and he goes, what? I said, well, Technically, Jesus said it. But I agree with him. (laughs) And I think you should too. He said, that's really hard. I go, I know. And he goes, but I should probably do that. I said, oh, I definitely think you should. And he goes, okay, I'm going to work on that. And he has been. He comes up to me every, every six months or so, and he goes, okay, right? I had this neighbor, man, <laughs> this neighbor and I, we've been going at it for years. <laughs> I started praying for him. I said, really, what do you mean? And he goes, well, it started out first. I was like, God, get him. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, well, that's, that's more praying against him than it is for him. He goes, yeah, 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 I got it. He goes, I, but then I was like, well, give me somebody to share your love with. And God's like, well, how about your neighbor? And so I'm like, okay, God, love my neighbor through me. And, you know, he goes, the next thing you know, uh, you know, uh, his wife got sick and he needed some help around the house. And I felt like God just told me to go over there. And I did. And he's like, man, he's not a big a jerk as I thought. <laughs> And the Lord's working on his heart, right? Love your neighbor. Right? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love the Lord your God with everything you got, every, every fiber of your being, every thought in your mind. Love him with everything you have and then share that love with others. Because here's the thing, when you, when you connect to God in this way and you begin to pray what God wants you to pray, right? I mean, I mean prayers that really matter. I mean, l- listen, all these other things we're fretting about, right? Now, all, these, all these problems, right? Money, sickness, you know, our, uh, our personal protection, our, our, these concerns. Man, we, we know how this ends. If you don't, if you don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up on it. Um, you die. I don't, you, isn't that weird? Nobody thinks they're going to die. You do. You, you die. And Jesus wins. You die and Jesus wins. And yet... We fret and we worry and we stress and we're concerned and, 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 we, and we pound on the throne room of heaven. And what are we asking for? God, make it easy. Take away the pain. Remove the struggle. Make it easy going. Let me do anything but actually follow Jesus. Right? You remember Jesus was really clear on this. He says, oh, you want to be my disciples? Yeah. I love that. He's like, yes. Good. This is great. I want you to be my disciples too. Okay, now here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to lay down your life, take up your cross, and then come follow me. Right. Now, I think we lost that somewhere. Right. Here's what you're going to do. You want to be my disciples? Sweet. This is going to be great. I want you to be my disciples, but I want you to know what this is going to entail. You're going to have to lay down your life. Right? What's the first thing you got to do? Lay down your life, take up your cross, come follow him. Lay down your life. That means everything you, you were going to be. Everything you, you imagined. Every, every aspiration. Every, every portion of self. I'm going to die to self. This is done. And, and then he says, okay, the next thing you do is take up your cross. Now, why in the world would Jesus tell us to take up our crosses if he never expected us to use them? Right, was it so we could have little trinkets around our neck? Is that what we think? Look, Jesus, you died on one of these. Was it fine? No, he says, take up your cross. 
Meaning that you're, you're ready to, to sacrifice. You're, you're ready to do what I did. He said, because you, you can't follow me without it. You can't follow Jesus without your cross. Because he's going to the cross. He's going to lay down his life. And he says, okay, now you're, you're my disciples. Well, what do disciples do? Disciples do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He laid down his life. So what, what we get to do as disciples of Jesus, I know this is the great pitch, greatest pitch ever for being a Christian, right? What we get to do is we get to lay down our lives. Now, how do we do that? It's this, this, this kind of selfless love where we say, you know what, God, give me somebody to share your love with. Well, what does that look like? It looks different than anything else the world has ever experienced before. I mean, because people think they love, right? We, we, we have this you know, image in our minds of what love is. Well, I'm in a love relationship. I love this person. They love me. Okay, well, what, what makes that a love relationship? Well, I love what he does. I love what he says. I love how he acts. I love how, how she um, serves. I love uh, the way he looks. I, we say we love all these things, but, but what if we love like Jesus? Right? Because it wasn't like Jesus looked at us and goes, oh man, these guys have a lot to offer. He looks at us and says, I love them. I'm going to go get them. And we are objects of his love. So as we begin to, to say, you know what, God, give me one person to share your love with. What we become, begin to understand is, okay, wait a minute, anybody can be the one. Anyone. Anybody God puts in our path can be the one. So you start to look at people differently, right? It's pretty cool as it goes like this, right? Uh, somebody's talking to you and you've been praying, God, give me somebody to share your love with. And you're not, the conversation may be getting a little dicey and it could be stressful and tense. And you're praying, okay, Lord, um, God, share your love with this person through me. Um, give me one person a day to share your love with. And the person's looking at you and you start going. <laughs> and they're like, what? And you go, you could be the one. You could be the one. And they are. And every relationship changes. Your work relationships change. Your family relationships change. Your, your, uh, your relationships in your community begin to change. Because now everybody, everybody's a one. And now here's an opportunity to share God's love. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And this is the most important thing. But this is hard. Because right? we've, been, we've been taught to, to hate, to go to war. Like that man in my church. And what I mean by that is a lot of times in the church, we've been taught that we are waging war against the world. Everybody with me on that? We are, we are waging war against the world. No, we're not. But yes, we are in a battle, and it is a fierce battle. But our enemy is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and rulers and forces of this, of this dark world. It, we have an enemy. His name is Satan. His name isn't Stan or Steve or Rick or Barry or Mark or John or Bill or Susie or Mary or Kathy. No, his name is Satan. And the church is here to storm the gates of hell and set the captives free. But we get so distracted fighting on false fronts, waging war against the war world, culture wars. Good Lord, no. Don't ever fight a culture war. Every culture war you fight, you're diverting energy from the real battle. And you're putting it somewhere where it doesn't belong. Take that energy and say, you know what? Let's, let's pray and say, God, let your love come into me and flow out of me. And let's storm the gates of hell. Let's set the captives free. Let's take ground from the enemy every single day with feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So that every stride, cross in hand, is about more people in the kingdom of heaven. Because that's the mission of Jesus. You may remember it. This is what he said to us in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And he says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Remember the, the Great Commission? He says, go, make disciples of all nations, all people. Because they're not your enemies. And it's not us and them. 
I remember when I got to Manchester, New Hampshire, and I started preaching. I mean, I was just talking about Jesus because that's all I know. I don't know anything else. I'm not smart enough to preach anything else. This is it. This is what I got. And I started preaching about Jesus. And people, they liked it. They did, right? People who love Jesus, they were like, whoa, what is this? What are you, you're talking about Jesus all the time. I said, yeah. And they go, what about people who don't know Jesus who come? Are you, are, are you not going to talk to them? I'm like, I am talking to them. And they were all confused. They're like, well, are you talking to us or them? I said, time out. Who's this us and them? Who's this us and them you're talking about? Well, you know, us, us Christians, and them, those pagans. <laughs> oh, well, I'll make this easy for you. Um, if the person has a pulse, I'm talking to them. And how about we just all be them or all be us, but no us and them, right? And it, it's, a, it's something that, that flips the switch where all of a sudden you go, okay, wait a minute. If this is what Jesus said to do, love me with everything you got, love your neighbor as yourself, and then go and make disciples, right? then here's the expectation. Now, here's, everybody knows this. I know everybody's like, no kidding, dude. I mean, we're, we're in church. We get this, right? Because this is what every church does. What are you going to do? Oh, we're going we're gonna to love God. We're going to love people, and we're going to evangelize the lost. Okay? <laughs> everybody's got a different way of saying it. You've got to package it some way. So you've got your, your phrases, and those are great. They provide synergy and everything else, and they're very helpful. I encourage you to have them. Right? This is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to love God. We're going to love people. We're going to reproduce spiritually. We're going to love God. We're going to love people. We're going to reach the world for Christ. We're going to love God. We're going to love people. We're going to share the gospel. Okay? This is what we're going to do. Okay. Now, the question is, are you doing it? That's a, that's a scary question sometimes to ask, but you've got to ask. Am I, are we doing it? And then be honest. Right? Because this is what I would tell you. If we aren't doing it, then functionally, we have ceased to be a church. We become something else. You might be an education center. You might be a community uh, service center. Uh, you might be a, um, a club for cranky people. I don't know. Uh. But if you cease to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself and make disciples, the mission of Christ to seek and save the lost, then no longer functionally are you a church anymore. No, but the church is awesome. So I want us all to be churches, but what if we were equipped to say, aha, our influence can double. Now, praying for one unleashes exponential growth by releasing the church to invest God's love. And it's an investment. God's love comes in, God's love goes out. It's not meant to be stored up, right? It comes in, it goes out, right? Remember, think about it this way. Religion uh, is like a well, you got to go there. You got to dip the bucket in. You got to pull it up. You use it up, then you go back. You dip the bucket in. You wheel it up and you carry it back. You use it up. You keep going back. That's what religion is a well. Jesus is a fountain. Right? You, you connect to him like the Samaritan woman in the book of John. What he told her, in springs of living water will bubble up out of you. You get connected to Jesus at the heart level. Right, where you start to want what he wants. Now, how do you want what he wants? You pray what, what he would pray. God, give me somebody to share your love with. Let your love come into me and go out of me. God's going to say, yes, let's do that. And now there's this effervescent flow of God's love. And it is moving through you and coming out of you. And it's an investment because now the church is released. Right? You as an individual, right? you want to double, you want to go to the next level, you want to double in your impact for the kingdom, start praying for one. God, give me somebody today to share your love with. Watch what he does. But imagine a church... Right, 1,200 people started praying, you know, God, give me one person to share your love with. Well, within two years, we were at 2,400 people. Right, we're, at the, uh, we're at the five-year mark now, and uh, the, this month, we've averaged 36. 3,600 people. And you know what? We're trying to figure out how we can reach uh, 7,200. Because you've got to stay ahead of that. Because it's hard. If we want everybody to pray for one, then you've got to make a way for one. Right, in order to make a way for one, you've got to pay for one. Because there's cost involved. And so th this is honestly what I, I think uh, what, what God desires. Now, it's not going to fix all your problems. We'll talk about some of the barriers uh, for doubling and you know, why, we, why we might not choose to do that. But I think this is what God wants. This is what he's called us to. I love the, the parable in Matthew 25, verse 14. Jesus says, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey. 
He called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag of money went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold? See, I've gained five more. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man entrusted with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two, and I gained two more. Then his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one bag of gold came. Master, he said, "I, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you know that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. I mean, Jesus is clear. He's like, you're to invest. You're to invest. Churches, we're to invest with the expectation of an exponential harvest. We're to invest. But we're too busy oftentimes digging holes. And I think there are a lot of reasons we dig holes. But this guy got it right. Why? He was afraid. He was afraid. And sometimes that's what happens, right? Why not double? Well, I think the number one reason for that is fear. The first two come to Jesus and they say, I, you gave me five, here's 10. The second guy, you gave me two, here's four. I mean, they're excited Jesus came back, right? Woo! The master's back, here you go. And he's like, awesome, man. You know, here's more. Go, go invest more. Go do more. But the one who dug a hole in the ground, I mean, he didn't squander it. He didn't waste it. He didn't lose it. He just didn't invest it. So think about this. Too many churches are trying to hold on trying to protect, trying to maintain, digging holes when we ought to be investing. So that when Jesus comes back, we go, here you go. You trusted with this and and we invested it. And I think fear is the number one reason. The number one reason that we don't double is we get afraid. Now, I've heard... uh, Fear described as being false evidence appearing real. Ever heard that before? False evidence appearing real. That's a clever little acronym. Uh, the only problem with it is, is, is sometimes fear is very real. Okay, like FDR, right? FDR said, uh, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. That's a great rallying cry. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I mean, that and the Great Depression, World War II, the, the atomic bomb. <laughs> There were some very real things going on there. So fear is, is real, right? but it doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to stop us. I, I would say investing God's love, uh, doubling, uh, teaching people to pray for one, expecting that God would do this, unleashing the church. There's so much risk in this. I mean, it's a mess. It is messy work, man. Doubling, are you kidding me? Everything, everything changes, it's crazy, right? But there's so much fear associated with it that, that we shut her down and, and we don't do it. But we don't have to be afraid. Have you ever realized you've been afraid of something and didn't even know it? They weren't even aware of it. This morning, no lie, I'm, I'm in the shower. This morning. And I put shampoo in my hand and I go to wash my hair. And as soon as I go to wash my hair, I close my eyes as tight as I can. And when I closed my eyes to wash my hair, I heard something hit the floor in the bathtub. It startled me. And it was a shampoo bottle that fell. And I felt like I need to open my eyes to make sure I'm safe, but I wouldn't open my eyes. I'm like, why am I not opening my eyes? And why am I rushing to shampoo my hair? I've never thought about this before. And I realized, oh, I opened my eyes and I'm like, I'm okay. I, it's just a shampoo bottle. I'm okay. Right? 
And I said, why do I close my eyes when I shampoo my hair? Oh, yeah, because when I was a little kid, my mom put me in the bathtub and brought out the Johnsons and Johnsons. No more tears. <laughs> put it in her hand and said, now close your eyes. So it didn't get in your eyes. And it did. It got in my eyes one time. You know what? There were tears. It was a marketing lie. <laughs> I'm 42 years old. I can, I can control where the water hits on my head. I have a lot of shower experience now. I don't have to close my eyes anymore. I mean, this is an epiphany for me today. 42 years, I've been washing my hair with my eyes closed. And I've been going fast ever since college. You know why? Because in college, I lived with five of the guys in a house, and there was no lock on the bathroom door, and they loved to play practical jokes. And I never knew when they were coming, because my eyes were closed. So now I'm like, I have never enjoyed a shower. I hear people talk about this. Oh, the shower was great. The water was warm. I get all my best thinking in the shower. I'm like, I'm in a panic. <laughs> what are we panicking about? Right? You ever thought about it? What are, we, what are we panicking about? Let's say, you're on, let's say you're on staff with a church. You're on the payroll. You don't need a job. You don't need one. God's got you. And if you don't believe that, right? He's got you. You are free to lead and love and challenge and push and invest. You are free to do all those things. The only thing you're not free to do is dig a hole. What are we so afraid of? Well, we fear change. Everybody gets freaked out about that. We don't want anything to change. We fear sacrifice. We fear loss. What's this going to cost me? Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't, don't be afraid. And praying for one is so compelling as the love of God is in you and you're desiring to share it, then it's the thing that moves you to step outside the fear and go, you know what, we can change, we can sacrifice, um, we can lose what we've known before, it's okay. Another reason we don't double is false expectations. Right, this is one of the things that plagues the church. It's the me-centered, um, consumer-driven mentality that we find in churches. Now remember that we taught people to do this. Right, it's all about you. You've know? you got to find the right church for you. Come to the right church for you that's the right size, with the right music, with the right preaching, and the right programs for your right stage of life. Find the right church for you. How about we just be the church? Now, what I always tell people is if you're considering what church is the right church for you, just pray God and say, God, where can you use me the most to reach the most people in the shortest amount of time? That's the right church. They may have nothing to do with you. They may have no programs that meet your spiritual needs. (laughs) Sorry, that just made me laugh. (laughs) This is false expectations, right? Um, Understand that it, it, church is messy. Last night when Tim talked about uh, somebody smoking pot in their bathroom, <laughs> I was like, that would freak people out. Right? We have, it's messy. We have three campuses. We have to have police officers on all our campuses. Not, not just for crowd control, because it's dangerous. I mean, we got hoodlums and all kinds. Of, we got, I mean, crazy people. This was sharing God's love with everybody, and they're all welcome, and they come in. And, uh, you know, one time the police officer came and got me. He says, uh, hey, uh, Pastor. I said, yeah. He goes, uh, I need to ask you a question. I said, sure. And it was his first time there, and he goes, um, is it okay for people to drink in the sanctuary? And I said, well, I mean, we have a coffee shop, and people carry coffee in and food. It's no big deal. He goes, no, 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 no. Come here. <laughs> he goes, that guy. He's drinking a Heineken. green bottle, man, label on it. I go, huh. Yeah, we don't actually have a policy on that. <laughs> I mean, you might want to keep an eye on it, you know, socially, maybe not quite aware of it as we would like, but it's messy. I mean, 
And sometimes it's funny like that. Sometimes... <laughs> you know, but sometimes it's just, it's just messy. You know, I've, I've had the great privilege of looking at our church and seeing a well-known, prominent anesthesiologist sitting next to a heroin addict week after week. Man, that didn't happen anywhere else. That's the church. I love the church. But it's messy. Huh? This Sunday, we, one of our campuses, we had a lady uh, OD on heroin in the bathroom. And it's, man, it's messy. They wheeled her out with a needle in her arm. And you got moms and dads and kids who are going to have conversations about that because they saw it. Why do we go to that church? Because it's messy. It's hard. It's not about us. So there are these false expectations, but in John 16, Jesus was pretty clear. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. He, he didn't, everyone shouldn't be shocked. He says, in this world you will have trouble. In fact, if you're going to follow Jesus, wouldn't you expect an uptake in the trouble? When's the last time you got in trouble for Jesus? I tell people all the time, you know, I've been yelled at before, it's not that bad. You know, I can handle it. When was the last time he got in trouble for Jesus? Right? And these expectations, they hold us back there. There are our personal preferences, our personal agendas, our personal space. You know, these things happen in churches all the time, right? I want the, the church for me with my programs and that will do the things I want to do and nobody will sit in my pew or park in my parking spot or go to my service time or whatever it may be. Man, teach those people to pray for one. Challenge them. And, and the thing is, is, when people start saying these things to me, I just look at them, and no lie, I look at them in love, and I say, can I ask you a question and have you be honest with me? And they go, okay. I say, are you praying for one? And they go, no. I said, will you do that for a month every day? And then let's talk again. So far, not one person has come back to have that conversation again. Because it changes you. The expectation changes. Another reason we don't double is uh, what I call fake maturity. <laughs> right? That, that we're going deep. I, I tell our church all the time that, uh, l- listen, Bible trivia is not deep. It can be fun. <laughs> but it, it's not deep. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's deep. That's the deepest thing I'm ever going to say. Right? So when we get that down, maybe we can move on to Bible trivia. <laughs> but let's, let's do that. Um, Matthew 18, verse 2 says, uh, he called a uh, little child to him and he placed the child among them and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Right, Jesus tells us we, we have to become like little children. And yet there's this uh, image of what a mature uh, Christian looks like that that I'm not necessarily uh, sure is real. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's, it's not. Right? For instance, when we think about fake maturity, there's a, a concept that says that it, you can only grow mature in Christ over time. Long, extended periods of time. Right? It's that whole term, baby Christians. Everybody know the baby Christian term? I hate that term. I'm not going to lie. I hate it. I hate it. I was uh, speaking at a conference one time, and uh, a lady came up to us and... Uh, the head of Pray for One Ministries is here. Chris, say hi, Chris. This is Chris. <laughs> Chris was with me, and uh, we, were, we had Pray for One books available, and she came over the table, and she goes, what's that, what's that book about? And Chris happened to be standing there, and she didn't know I was the author, but I was kind of standing on the side. Chris, Chris took it, and he goes, well, this book is a book about Sharing God's love. You pray, God, give me one person a day to share your love with. And he says, this book will, will transform your church. She goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, our church has doubled in size in the last two years because we pray for one. 
And she goes, oh, 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 well, our church is just a little church. And no lie, this is why he's the head of Pray for One Ministries. And he takes a book and goes, not for long. (laughs) And I kid you not, she wouldn't touch it. She goes, like it was a loaded gun, man. She's backing away. And she goes, no, 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 we're, we're just a little church, right? And she goes, what do you mean, right? Your church doubled. And so he explains, well, uh, you know, in the, we, I mean, in the last five years, we baptized 2,000 people. I mean, it's just, it, the Lord's adding to our number daily, those who are being saved. I mean, it's gotten biblical up in New Hampshire, you know? <laughs> and she goes, she steps forward with a finger and she got aggressive and she goes, what are you going to do with all those baby Christians? Chris is like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, all those baby Christians running around, what are you going to do? Because we teach them to pray for one and we turn them loose. <laughs> baby Christians, right? Time, I mean, think about it, time. Rapid growth was the New Testament norm. Why wouldn't we expect it to be the norm today? Mike, Mike came to, uh, we, we have an outreach ministry in our church that feeds uh, people who are usually homeless. And Mike ate breakfast one time and they brought him to church. Mike walks into church, very simple, very slow, low IQ, lots of issues. Mike walks into church and he meets me. And uh, I said, hey, Mike, how are you doing? He goes, well, I went to this, uh, went to this breakfast this morning and uh, they had free food and I like that. So I went and um, they told me about Jesus. And I, I said, I'd want to do that. How do I do that? And so we prayed together. And then they said, you want to come to church? And he said, yes. I said, yes, I do. And he goes, so here I am at church. I've, I've prayed and asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. So what do I do now? And I said, okay, well, the, those guys were praying for one. I want you to pray for one. He goes, what does that mean? I said, just pray every day. God, give me one person to share your love with. And he goes, I'm on it. The next Sunday, Mike comes back to church. He comes walking into me. He's wearing a purple shirt, which is what the volunteers for this ministry wear. It's called, do you know him? Comes bounding into me. He goes, I'm back. And I want you to know, I did that pray for one thing that you told me about, and I did it every day this week, and I woke up this morning, and I thought, you know, I may want to go get some of that free breakfast again. But then I thought, well, if those people were praying for one, and that's what they did, maybe I could do it too. So I went over, and you know what I did? I said, what? He goes, I volunteered. I said, that's great. He goes, well, now what do I do? And I said, well, keep praying for one. You want to do that? He goes, yeah. He goes, so he walks off. The next Sunday, he comes in. Comes bounding up to me. Now he's got somebody with him. He comes walking up to me, purple shirt. He goes, hey, I was doing that pray for one thing, and I want you to know, I woke up this morning, and I went down to volunteer, because now I'm a servant and a volunteer in the ministry, and I went there, and I met this lady, and I was talking to her, and I realized she was there for the free breakfast, but she didn't know who Jesus was, so I told her what they told me, and she prayed with me, and so she came to church with me today. What do I do now? I go... Pray for another one? He goes, yeah. Two weeks. Right? Boom. This guy, hey, what are we, what are we doing? We're wasting time. Right? We want to reach the most people in the shortest time. Uh, false maturity also, you know, our intellect gets in the way. Right? I love that about the early church. Unschooled, ordinary idiots. <laughs> Some of you are wicked overqualified. <laughs> That's your problem, man. <laughs> And piety, that's, that's something that gets in the way. Last one, uh, this is a big one. Faith testing obstacles. Faith testing obstacles. Man, it's not easy. It's not. And you know what? I hate these cliches we throw around in the church, right? You know them, right? Sometimes we say, we're trying to accomplish something. We prayed about it. Man, we feel like God's in it and we get ready to go for it. And we start, we start to, to, you know, storm that hill and man, it's, t- it's on. This is me. More people in the kingdom of heaven is going to grow the church. It's going to take us to the next level. Let's go do it. And some faith testing obstacle comes in the way and we go, oh, well, I guess the Lord closed that door. Oh, well, if the Lord closes the door, he's going to open a window. Maybe God just wants you to get out a stinking battering ram. Knock down some doors. I mean, if it, it's not easy. It's not easy. And now I know this, right? right? Success, whatever that means. It's such a goofy thing. But we all do this garbage, right? right? 
And I get to be in an environment right now where a lot of people are looking at, you know, Manchester, New Hampshire and, and what this amazing church I get to be a part of is doing. And it's cool. It's hard. It's hard. You, you don't, you give up more than you ever imagined. It costs you more. You sacrifice more. It's worth it, man. But it's hard. It's not easy. But I want you to know, man, before I went there, I'm a failed church planner. Right? You go to, you ever notice that you go to conferences and, oh my goodness, you hear the stories. <laughs> Don't you ever want the real story? <laughs> How'd your church grow so big so fast? Well, my daddy gave us 500 people and $8 million. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I planted a church, started a brand new church. And, uh, you know, it was exciting. And uh, within the first couple months of the church, the Lord laid on my heart this pray for one thing, pray for one. And it started as just an initiative, a growth initiative. Well, hey, you know, we've got, we got 100 people here. What if everybody here prayed for one and said, Lord, please give me one person to share your love with? I was like, God, you'd probably give everybody one, wouldn't you? And then, and I started telling this to people, and they're like, yeah, we could do that, we could do that. And if we all pray for one, then we, we'd all get another one, and we'd have 200 people. And they're like, yeah. I was like, well, let's do it. So we started doing it. Pray for one, man. We started praying for one. And uh, it's uh, so exciting. And everybody's coming in. Hey, here's my one. Hey, my one's coming this week. Hey, you know, my one was here last week. Or hey, my one asked a question. And, you know, everybody's praying for one and excited about it. And we do. We double. We go from 100 to 200. But we're in this elementary school. And all the statistics and studies show you that you don't grow over 200 in an elementary school in a church plant. But I kept thinking, well, we'll be the exception because I'm exceptional. We'll be the exception. Normal rules do not apply. <laughs> and so we, we would hit 200 and then contract, hit 200 and contract. I keep preaching, pray for one. Everybody keeps going, yeah. The problem was people stopped praying for one. You want to know why? There's nowhere to put their friends. Nowhere to put their neighbors. There was no parking. There were no seats. So we're like, okay, wait a minute. We got a problem here. We're still talking about it. Everybody still agrees with it, but nobody's doing it. So we need another building. We need a, we need a space. It's early, but come on, we're growing fast. Let's get a space. And we found a building and we negotiated a lease and we secured a loan and we got drawings and we spent all the cash we had and we were ready to go. And the company that was providing the funding for it, I leave for vacation on my way home from vacation. They call me on my cell phone and let me know that the deal fell through. And I said, why? And they go, we don't, it was a small, I mean, I'm talking $110,000 was what we needed. And for some reason, they made the decision that they couldn't do it. And I will never forget the moment my church plant died because it was three years before we actually stopped having services. I was in the car. My wife was asleep next to me. My kids were asleep in the back seat. And I hung up on that guy. And I threw the phone down. And I sat around and waited for God to open a window. What a fool. $110,000. I had an investment banker on my team. He did millions of dollars in loan deals every single month. He got a $500,000 bonus every December. I did not call him And I did not say to him, this is imperative. We need $110,000 tomorrow. You got to do this, man. This is about more people in the kingdom of heaven. This is about reaching the most people in the shortest amount of time. This is about changing our community for Christ. This is about storming the gates of hell. Man, we got to do this. If we want this church to keep praying for one, will you write a check? You know what? If I'd called this guy and asked him, you know what he probably would have done? He'd written a check. I could have called 40 churches. We're a church plant, man. But instead, I threw the phone down. And it took another three years. Now, that was painful. But I'm going to tell you, never waste a pain. I went from there, the last, we closed the doors on that church plant. And a week later, I lived in Manchester, New Hampshire. 
And in five years, we've tripled in size. We've opened two new campuses. We've baptized over 2,000 people. But we're in our second capital campaign in my first five years. But we've created an environment that says, right, if a door gets closed, we're breaking out the battering ram. And we're going to get after it. And so I would bet that there's some closed doors in your church. Maybe it's time to go knocking them down because of what's at stake. And so um, the beauty of praying for one is that uh, when everybody does it, everybody's invested. That's the power in it, right? People talk, they ask me about it. Oh, it's great that your church has a catchphrase. Yeah, that's cool. What do we do? We pray for one. Yay. That's not the power. The power is that people pray. People actually pray. God, give me one. But they will stop if we don't make the space and the, and the parking and the opportunities. And so we got to stay out in front of that and make big, risky leadership decisions, invest to double and prepare to double but now everybody cares. So when I stood in front of the church and said, hey, we're gonna have another capital campaign, we actually ended the first one a year early, asked everybody to finish it anyway, and then start a new one. They go, okay, because they wanna keep praying for one. Um, We've been doing this at our church. Uh, Just the last thing I wanna tell you is I I do have uh, the book here with me. Uh, This version has a 41-day prayer and devotion guide for churches that want to do it as a series in your church or in small groups in conjunction with the book. And uh, it's $14.99. And uh, this one has it without the prayer and devotion guide. It's $10. I was really, when Tim was talking about his book, when he said it was $5 and it's a hardback, and that's a great book, awesome read, you should get it. I was sitting there like, man, this book's five bucks and mine's 15 and mine's 10. I was like, man. So I went and talked to Tim and we put together a package deal. For $20, you can get his book and my book. For $30, you can get all three. That's a pretty good deal. We're going to pray, but seriously, if if you'd like to know more about uh, Pray for One and maybe how to implement that in your church, it's really simple. You don't need to make it complicated, but Chris... Uh, who I mentioned earlier is here. He'll be available to take information. I'm also willing to talk to you. Um, Let's pray together. Could we pray by saying, uh, God, would you give me one person to share your love with? Will you pray that out loud with me? God, give me one person to share your love with. Father, thank you for your church. Lord, that we are about your business. And please do give us one. And uh, unleash your church to reach the most people in the shortest time. And we ask for that in Jesus' name.